Barty Washington, wishing you will have a beautiful day. This is VOA News via remote. I'm Tommy McNeil. Explosions and fires ripped through an, an ammunition depot in Russia's an, annex Crimea in the second suspected Ukrainian attack on the peninsula in just over a week. The blast feasted the uh, evacuation of more than 3,000 people. Russia is blaming the explosions on an act of sabotage without naming the perpetrators. Ukraine stopped short of publicly claiming responsibility. Last week's explosions destroyed nine Russian planes at another Crimean air base. Russia seized Crimea from Ukraine in 2014 and has used it to launch attacks against the country in the war that began nearly six months ago. If Ukrainian forces were, in fact, behind the explosions, they would represent a significant escalation in the war. U.S. President Joe Biden has signed Democrats' landmark climate change and health care bill. It's the final piece of the president's pared-down domestic agenda as he aims to boost his party's standing with voters ahead of midterm elections. AP correspondent Seth Borenstein reports that the climate legislation enacted in the most significant ever passed by Congress. The bill that President Biden has signed is the biggest one nation has done in one period in the entire time that I've been covering climate change. This is a huge event, especially for the United States. It still doesn't catch up with Europe, which has done more as a whole of multinations. Biden says that American people won and the special interest lost. The legislation includes the biggest federal investment ever to fight climate change. That's about $375 billion over a decade. There is more at voanews.com. This is VOA News. Opposition figure. Uh, Raila Odinga says that he will challenge the results of Kenya's close presidential elections with all constitutional and legal options. Odinga spoke Tuesday, a day after the deputy president, William Ruto, was uh, declared the winner. His promise of a challenge brought new uncertainty to East Africa's most stable democracy. Now the country faces weeks of disputes and the possibility that the Supreme Court will order another election. Religions and other leaders have pleaded for calm in a nation with a history of deadly post-election violence. Health officials are warning people are infected with monkeypox to stay away from household pets since the animals could be at risk of catching the virus as well. AP correspondent Norman Hall reports. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention for months has had the advice in place. But it gained new attention after a report from France published last week in the medical journal Lancet about an Italian greyhound that caught the virus by sleeping with its infected owners. CDC disease ecologist Jeff Doty says such contact should be limited. Uh, we would obviously recommend that people don't sleep with their animals if they have monkey pods and reducing other types of close contacts such as hugging, you know, snuggling, kissing and, and licking and that kind of thing. The CDC says pets that come in close contact with a symptomatic person should be kept at home and away from other animals and people for 21 days after the most recent contact. I'm Norman Hall. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security's Inspector General has now refused congressional requests for documents and staff testimony about the erasure of Secret Service communication related to the January 6, 2021 attack at the U.S. Capitol. 
The General Joseph Kafari's uh, refusal to comply outlined in a newly disclosed August 8th letter has angered top Democrats who have accused him of unlawfully obstructing the investigation. Lawmakers also hinted at a potential congressional subpoena for records concerning efforts to cover up the erasure of Secret Service communications. The erasure of the text messages has raised the prospect of lost evidence that could shed further light on then-U.S. President Donald Trump's actions during the insurrection. Recapping our top story. Explosions and fires have now ripped through an ammunition depot and uh, Russia's annexed Crimea in the second suspected Ukrainian attack on the peninsula. And uh, just over a week, the blast forced the evacuation of more than 3,000 people. And Russia is blaming the explosion on an act of sabotage without naming the perpetrators. Via remote, I'm Tommy McNeil, VOA News. Today is Wednesday, August 17th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedorfo in Washington. Coming up in the next half hour, Russia's President Vladimir Putin accuses the West of, quote, trying to drag out the war in Ukraine as his forces meet civil resistance from Kyiv. Addressing a security conference attended by military officials from Africa, Asia, and Latin America, Russian President Vladimir Putin accused the West of imposing a unipolar world order. The first UN World Food Program grain-laden vessel leaves Ukraine's port for Djibouti. It is leaving the Odessa port of Pivdeny, which is one of the three Odessa ports. And this is actually the first ship to leave that particular port. And health officials warn people infected with monkeypox to stay away from household pets. We'll have these stories and more next on International Edition. Stay tuned. Ukraine continues to frustrate Russia's effort to make and sustain gains in its invasion of its territory, with Kyiv recapturing some villages earlier lost to the Kremlin forces. This, as President Vladimir Putin accuses the U.S. of trying to, quote, drag out, unquote, the war as part of what he describes as Washington's alleged efforts to maintain its global hegemony. Washington has denied the charges and accuses Putin of undermining international rule-based order by invading its neighbor without provocation. Associated Press correspondent Judy Walker reports. Addressing a security conference attended by military officials from Africa, Asia, and Latin America, Russian President Vladimir Putin accused the West of imposing a unipolar world order that prevents nations from choosing their own path. Putin reaffirmed his long-held claim he sent troops into Ukraine in response to Washington turning the country into an anti-Russia bulwark. He also says House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's recent trip to Taiwan, which angered Russia's ally China, had been a thoroughly planned provocation, part of an alleged American attempt to foment global instability. I'm Julie Walker. Sirens filled the air throughout Ukraine Tuesday as Russian missiles struck targets and explosions erupted on the Crimean Peninsula. Flight from Ukraine's host Steve Miller speaks to reporter Anna Chernikova in Kyiv to get the details. 
Today in the morning, around 6 o'clock Kyiv time, there were explosions heard in Crimea again. Reports saying that explosions happen in Dunkoy region. Uh, this region is very close to Kherson. At first, local residents started to publish a lot of videos of huge fire on the territory of Transformers substation. Later, additional information came in about huge fire and a lot of explosions on the territory of the military base. Local sources reported that Russian military unit is on fire near Dunkoy in Crimea and that an ammunition depot is exploding. And on the footages, on the videos, it's clearly seen that it's a huge fire, a lot of smoke and explosions are just happening nonstop. As we know, the detonation was taking place at least six hours in a row. For the moment, we don't have confirmation or any information if it stopped or not. As a result of this accident, a five-kilometer zone around the site is evacuated and this was reported by so-called Crimea officials. And a bit later, we also received confirmation from them that railway in Dunkoy district was damaged due to these explosions and that it's not working anymore. But it is confirmed that people are evacuated and it is confirmed that people who were on the trains, they are now have to get out from the trains and the only way to get to Crimea is by buses. Anna, what are Russian officials saying? Russian officials confirmed that this accident happened. They confirmed that military units were on fire. They said that as a result of the accident, the munitions stored there detonated. Later on, Russian officials announced accused Ukrainian forces. Uh, They announced that this was a sabotage by the Ukrainian forces. Later in the afternoon, before even Ukrainian officials made any comments, it was another explosion in Crimea. This time it was at the air base in Simferopol area. According again to Russian media, black smoke was seen over the military air base in Simferopol area and local residents also say that there were several explosions heard in that particular territory. That's reporter Anna Chernikova in Kiev speaking with Flashpoint Ukraine's host Steve Miller. The first UN World Food Program vessel loaded with wheat left Ukraine on Tuesday and is headed for Djibouti Maryam Ward, Deputy Emergency Coordinator of the World Food Program in Ukraine, tells VOA's Carol Van Dam the ship is carrying 23,000 metric tons of wheat grain, which will go to the WFP's humanitarian response in the Horn of Africa, one of the world's hardest-hit areas in this year's global food crisis. Is leaving the Odessa port of Pivdeny, which is one of the three Odessa ports, and this is actually the first ship to leave that particular port. And then we're very pleased that it's a humanitarian ship leading the way. And it is on its way to Djibouti, where the cargo will then be transshipped to Ethiopia for our operations there. It'll take about two weeks for it, it to arrive. Once it gets to Ethiopia, then, then where does it go? Because it's not just Ethiopia that obviously is suffering in the Horn of Africa. Well, that particular shipment is only for Ethiopia. There will be more shipments. We hope one that's the first of many to, of course, go to other ports in the Horn of Africa and then, of course, the Middle East and other places. Because, you know, Ukraine's agricultural bounty fed 400 million people across the world last year. So there are lots of places that need the food of Ukraine. If you would step back a little and tell me what it was like to be right next to that ship. I saw the video of you as the ship was being loaded and there you were and seeing the ship off. What was that like? Really, the biggest emotion was just joy to see a ship leaving that port for the first time in six months. 
you know, it's it's a port that's been closed, even though they were importing the employees and everything. We weren't really quite sure when they flipped the switch if all systems would really be go, but they really were. So, you know, watching the grain just flow into the holds and watching, you know, the sailors getting everything ready to move. It was just like normal operations, which is really what we need is normal operations. And again, I just think um, really really proud that it was a humanitarian ship to get that particular port up and moving and functional again. How many countries are facing acute food insecurity now and how many countries are at the threshold of famine? Technically, we've got about 20 countries right now across the globe that are on what we would call the famine watch list. So that is just an incredibly, probably a record number of countries around the globe. So are most of those countries in Africa? I would say probably, but certainly countries, you know, in the Middle East and elsewhere that are undergoing crises, such in Yemen, Afghanistan. It takes a lot of things to cause a famine, and unfortunately, many countries are teetering on the brink right now. That's Marianne Ward, Deputy Emergency Coordinator of the World Food Program in Ukraine, speaking from Kiev with my colleague, Carol Van Dam. U.S. President Joe Biden on Tuesday signed legislation that includes the biggest federal climate investment in the country's history. It also reduces health care costs and raises taxes on corporations. The details from VOA's chief national correspondent, Steve Herman, in Washington. It is called the Inflation Reduction Act, but it is primarily a bill containing hundreds of billions of dollars of spending to respond to climate change and fund green energy projects. President Biden took a break in his summer vacation to return to the White House to sign the legislation promising that as a result, Americans will begin to see solar factories in the Midwest and the South, wind farms across the plains and off our shores, clean hydrogen projects and more all across America, every part of America. This bill is the biggest step forward on climate ever, ever. The bill had no support from the opposition Republicans who see it as wasteful spending. Many environmentalists, including the Nature Conservancy's Jason Albritton, say they are pleased with the new law, even if compromises to gain passage mean allowing some oil and gas leases to continue on federal lands. The good definitely outweighs the bad, and and I think that is the bottom line when you're looking at this piece of legislation. The law is also seen as putting the United States back on track to achieve its greenhouse gas reduction goals under the Paris Climate Accord. Steve Herman, VOA News, Washington. The Biden administration says its new Africa policy is based on establishing equality, promoting open societies and democracy, and working towards pandemic recovery and climate change adaptation. During his recent tour, the U.S. Secretary of State touted these objectives and the new relationship between the U.S. and its 50-plus partners on the continent. VOA's Anita Powell reports from Washington. Equality at last. That is what U.S. President Joe Biden's reframed Africa strategy pledges to the fastest-growing continent. Secretary of State Antony Blinken summed it up thusly during his whirlwind trip to Africa last week. What we seek most of all is a true partnership between the United States and Africa. We don't want an imbalanced or transactional relationship. And our commitment to a stronger partnership with Africa is not about trying to outdo anyone else. Except, Africa watchers say, two countries loom large. China, whose Belt and Road Infrastructure Initiative has crossed the continent, and Russia, whose foreign minister also took a recent tour of the continent to remind African nations of old ties from the post-liberation era. Krista Mackay is an associate professor of government and African studies at St. Lawrence University. 
She spoke to VOA on Zoom. I think the shift in rhetoric is is an important one um, and also one that is really aimed at countering China's use of the term partnership, you know, economic development partners that has been uh, well received across the African continent in terms of being more respectful. The White House says this will be exemplified later this year at a revamp of 2014's U.S.-Africa summit. At that summit, then-President Barack Obama made a point of not inviting Zimbabwean leader Robert Mugabe, who grew increasingly authoritarian before his death in 2019. And he's not the only African leader to have served for several decades, a challenge to the U.S. policy of pushing democratization. Ebenezer Obadare is a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations. He spoke to VOA on Zoom. I think the United States is in a very interesting you know, juncture here, where if, if, if you have to try and at least appear to want to have, you know, everybody around the table, even people that, you know, you you rather not have around. So I expect there will be, you know, a lot of African leaders there. And he said there is a real sense that this policy, while materially not too different from previous policies, carries a note of truth and reconciliation. What I like about it is, so there's a particular language about the United States saying, we think we may have acted dishonorably, it doesn't use that word, but something similar in the past. We've not always been true to our word, but hey, we, we want to wipe this slate clean. So is this a fresh start? In these uncertain times, the U.S. clearly hopes so. Anita Powell, VOA News, Washington. In other news, health officials are warning people who are infected with monkeypox to stay away from household pets since the animals could be at risk of catching the virus. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has had the advice in place as monkeypox spreads in the U.S. It gained new attention after a report from France published last week in the medical journal Lancet about an Italian greyhound that caught the virus. Infections have been detected in rodents and other wild animals, but the authors called it the first report of monkeypox infection in a domesticated animal like a dog or a cat. For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You're listening to VOA's International Edition. I am Chinadofo in Washington. Kenyan police say the body of an election official has been found just outside the capital with signs of torture. The discovery was made as Kenyan's election chief said his staff faces a spread of threats and abductions surrounding the announcement of election results. Mohamed Yusuf reports from Nairobi. An official presiding over the election in Nairobi has been found dead in Kilombero Forest, Kajiado County. Kenyan media report the body of 53-year-old Daniel Musioka showed signs of strangle and torture. The body was discovered late Monday by herders. Police officials in Kajiado County believe the victim may have been killed elsewhere and the body dumped in the area. Musioka disappeared Thursday from his election tallying center in Nairobi. Wafula Chabukati is a chairperson of Kenya's Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission. He said Monday electoral officers were targeted during the election period. We have staff who have been profiled. There's a staff, returning officer in Bakasi West, who disappeared while on duty. We have staff who have been arbitrarily arrested for no reasons. We don't know where they are. Some from this National Telling Center. The latest incident raises concerns about the repeat of the violence that has plagued past elections in Kenya. Days before the 2017 election, 
an electoral official in charge of IT, Chris Musando, was killed. Kenya's Electoral Commission announced William Ruto as the winner of last week's presidential vote. His main challenger, through a representative, has refused to accept the results. Some electoral officers were accused of tampering with electoral results and mishandling election materials. Some officers have been summoned to court on charges of electoral malpractices. The announcement of the results has sparked both celebrations and violent protests in some parts of the country, including the capital. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. A year after a chaotic withdrawal and the Taliban resumed control, Australia's Immigration Minister Andrew Geis is reviewing Canberra's response to the humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan. Campaigners are calling on Australia to grant more visas to refugees seeking to flee the war-torn country. And from Sydney, Phil Mercer reports. It's been a year since the United States-led alliance left Afghanistan. Tens of thousands of Afghans have been resettled in the US and Europe. Australia said earlier this year it would allow the resettlement of 16,500 more refugees from Afghanistan over the next four years. But the number of Afghan nationals trying to reach Australia far outweighs the number of places available. Authorities in Canberra have received applications for more than 200,000 Afghan asylum seekers, but almost half are yet to be considered. Andrew Giles, Australia's immigration minister, has acknowledged that the processing system has been overwhelmed. He's ordered a review into Australia's handling of the asylum crisis. In a statement, a spokesperson for the Department of Home Affairs said that Australia remained committed to supporting the Afghan community at this distressing time and asks for patience with visa application processes. But Josephine Langbian, a senior lawyer at the Human Rights Law Centre, an independent rights organisation, is demanding Canberra do more. The Australian government promised to help the people of Afghanistan, but help isn't coming fast enough. We promised additional humanitarian visas, but we know that only a few thousand of those visas have actually been issued. Australia has been granting around 14,000 humanitarian visas each year. The government hopes to increase the annual refugee intake to around 27,000 people. However, asylum seekers who arrived by boat were treated differently than those who applied and were supported under different international programs. Those who arrived by boat were detained in Australian-funded offshore camps in the South Pacific with no prospect of resettlement in Australia. The policy was condemned as inhumane by rights groups, but the government said it had prevented them from risking their lives at sea. A detention centre in Papua New Guinea has closed and around 100 migrants remain on the island of Nauru. Phil Mercer for VOA News, Sydney. This is Science in a Minute. One of the most popular concepts on the creation of the moon is called the Great Impact Theory. According to the theory, Earth had a serious collision with a Mars-sized planet known as Theia some 4.5 billion years ago. The debris left from the collision formed a circumplanetary disk of material which later, through accretion, formed our moon. New evidence from scientists at ETH Zurich, a research university in Switzerland, supports this theory. 
The researchers analyzed fragments of lunar meteorites found in Antarctica and discovered chemical signatures of helium and neon, which are two of Earth's rare, native, and stable gases called noble gases. The scientists find that the signature of these gases in samples from the moon's interior show that it received them from Earth in materials that form the moon. I'm VOA's Rick Pantaleo. Border Crossings. Join host Larry London. Larry London. On Border Crossings, VOA's only worldwide music request hour. Every weekday at 1500 Universal. Tune in for the biggest hits and amazing artists. Win prizes and get the latest news from exclusive celebrity interviews. Send your requests to Facebook at VOA Larry London, Twitter at Border Crossings, or Instagram at Border Crossings VOA. Or call 202-619-2077 and have your favorite music played to the entire world. Don't miss Border Crossings every weekday at 1500 Universal, only on The Voice of America. Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and our panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including President Joe Biden signs the Democrats' massive climate, health, and tax bill into law, marking a major accomplishment for his domestic agenda less than three months before midterm elections. Join us for Issues in the News this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. And to all our VOA listeners, please note we have moved our programs to a new website, voaafrica.com, from voanews.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and television programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com, and thanks for listening. This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of the entire production team, thank you so much for listening. Visit our website for in-depth coverage of world events and news 24 hours a day at voaafrica.com. Until next time, I am Chinedwafo in Washington. Have a wonderful day. An editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. The United States joined the host of nations and organizations expressing outrage at the executions of four political activists by Burma's military regime. 
The United States condemns in the strongest terms the Burma military regime's executions of pro-democracy activists and elected leaders Ko Jimmy, Fayuze Taw, Hia Myo Ong, and Ong Thura Zaw for the exercise of their fundamental freedoms, said Secretary of State Antony Blinken in a written statement. He noted that since the February 2021 coup in Burma, the regime has perpetuated violence against its own people, killing more than 2,100, displacing more than 700,000, and detaining thousands of innocent people, including members of civil society and journalists. The executions of the four activists occurred after proceedings before a military-controlled court. At a press briefing, State Department spokesperson Ned Price described the executions as a heinous affront to human rights, and he called on all partners and allies to join us in condemning the regime's actions and stepping up pressure on the regime and its supporters. There can be no business as usual with this regime, he said. We urge all countries to ban the sale of military equipment to Burma, to refrain from lending the regime any decree of international credibility, and we call on ASEAN to maintain its important precedent of only allowing Burmese non-political representation at regional events. Spokesperson Price said all options are on the table to cut off the regime's revenue and its ability to perpetuate violence. He added, "The United States will work with partners to make sure additional steps are coordinated in order to put maximum pressure on the regime and not on the Burmese people." As Secretary of State Blinken stated, "The United States joins the people of Burma in their pursuit of freedom and democracy, and calls on the regime to respect the democratic aspirations of the people, who have shown they do not want to live one more day under the tyranny of military rule." That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. 